From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 347, and today's show is brought to you by FitBod, ExpressVPN, and Technology Untangled. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's good to be here. It's good to be awake and upright on a Monday morning to do Upgrade, as we, as is our tradition. Do you remember why we decided to do Upgrade on Monday? Did it just happen, or did we actually choose this to to start our week with Upgrade? I can't say I remember exactly. I can make a few guesses. One, I can imagine it was a day in my week where I wasn't already recording anything. I don't remember ever having recorded something on a Monday. So it worked for me pretty nicely. I also do believe that there was an idea, and or at least this is maybe why we stuck with it, is that we get to go first a lot of the right. time. It, yeah. It, you know, every now and then some news breaks in the middle of the week and other shows, other tech shows get to do it. Uh, but it's actually more likely that we get the first crack at most of the stories uh, mm. because it seems like most stuff tends to occur late, later in the week or right at the beginning of the week. So we we tend to get to uh, to talk first, which I always really enjoy. Yeah. Well, happy Monday. I guess that's some uh, hashtag mic talk. Hashtag snow talk question for you comes from Ryan. And Ryan wants to know, how much tea do you drink in a day, Jason? Um, I don't really want to measure it, but I would say it is between one and three cups of tea, right. mugs of tea. Um, we have a, a, a device called that I like to call the tea robot. It, it's a Breville, a tea maker that, um, you put in the water and you put a tea in the tea in a basket and you press the button and it does everything else. It boils it, drops the basket in, steeps it, pulls the basket back out and beeps. So you only have to do one thing i mean you load it up and press the button and walk away and you don't have to like be sure that you come back in time to put the tea in and take the tea back out it's like multi steps you need to hover around your your teapot if you're making tea and this thing is great because you don't have to do that you press the button it's great i love it i bought you know i bought another one i bought i did the john syracuse method i bought a second one so that mm-hmm. if it is ever uh discontinued i have a backup of it because i love it um and usually that makes a certain amount of tea. And now that we've been doing COVID, my wife and I split all that tea. It used to be she would go to work and have some tea and then leave. And it, Anyway, that's 1,200 milliliters, I think. So 600 milliliters of tea is probably what, what I would drink out of that pot. In COVID time, with Lauren being here all day, we often make a second pot. So I would say somewhere between 600 and 1,200 milliliters of tea. Yes, more than a liter of tea. Yeah, sometimes, some days, hard days. Yes, I am a machine (laughs) operated entirely on caffeine. That's how that works. And then I switched to Diet Mountain Dew, so it never ends, folks. It never ends until the evening. So, yeah. I have some follow-up. This is kind of the longest, it feels like the longest-term follow-up of all time now, which is talking about Find My. 
Oh, I was going to say complaints about episode one. Why are you on Mondays? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fine oh, actually, I, um, I've been completely thrown off. If you'd like to send in a hashtag Sneltalk question, just send out yeah. a tweet with the hashtag Sneltalk. Use question mark Sneltalk in the Relay FM members Discord. Now we get to talk about Oh, Fine you Mike. didn't close the Sneltalk. We would have. The entire the episode would have been Sneltalk unless I would have remained uh-huh. up there. For the whole episode, the whole episode would have been snow talk. W- oh, we dodged a bullet there. We've got to close the brackets F- out. Follow up. If you make a segment, it's show like ours. You have to start and end the segments. Otherwise, how's anybody going to know where we are? Yeah. So Apple put out a press release talking about the first products that are going to be integrated into the Find My app. Uh, so you may remember they announced this at WWDC. So it's taken nearly a full year for this to be uh, rolled out, which I think over the last few years, that has become more common that they will announce a feature at WWDC, but it takes about 10 or 11 months for it to actually uh, start making its way into the world. Uh, there are three products that Apple have highlighted that will be integrated with Find My, which basically means that they will you'll be able to register them in the Find My app, which used to be... Was it called Find My iPhone before was the name of the app? But then over time, you ended up putting people into it when it like, there, swallowed there was up Find the My Friends, friends app. Ah, and Find, my, find friends. my iPhone. Yeah. And then they merged them together into one app called mm-hmm. Find My. Yeah. And then it's all sorts of devices and stuff now. And it's a, it's a pretty good app, actually. I, I like it. I think it's a great feature of the iPhone. And it will be even better as more products and uh, potentially uh, AirTags, if they ever exist, um, mm-hmm. get released but so the idea being that you could register a find my uh, enabled product with the application and then it would be able to take advantage of you know every single iphone in the world as a way to to locate itself if you lose it so you know it's pinging bluetooth uh, off every device that walks by it that kind of thing it's quite clever we've spoken about it before it's uh, apple's got more information about it on their website if you want to find out more if you don't understand how it works but anyway devices have... i want to i like to think of it as devices in the find my, or devices in the air tags genre yes well there's one there of is those. no air there are no air tags no but air there are tags. devices in the air tags you know Sphere genre, the 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 general area of air tags, where air tags would be if they were to exist. <laughs> One of the products is a, a tracker product from a company called Chipolo, um, and it is a. Oh man, you're making me hungry. It's a little uh, tag yeah. product. Oh, um, I want the black beans with that. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Chipotle okay, joke with that. there. Yep. Um, there. Insert Chipotle joke. Some Belkin earbuds. And mm-hmm. some electric bikes from a company called Van Moof. And I have to stop you there mm-hmm. to just to say, Mike, mm-hmm. what what sound do you hear if a dog how gets stuffed in the back of a van? Moof, I'm in a van. No, it's Van Moof. Okay. I don't think it would it's say all... it in that order, but... Van Moof. These devices, so those three products, uh, they're actually compatible with iOS 14.3. And later, I know that uh, I thought this and so did others when Apple announced these products, like, oh, iOS 14.5 is dropping any day now. No, find, the Find My stuff has been around for a long time, but there's been no products for it. We we actually got some feedback from somebody a while ago who said, I found this this screen in settings. Mm-hmm. Is this proof of AirTags? And it, the answer was, well, no, this is proof of Apple's thing about how that they were going to turn on third parties for Find My. But there were no products to use it. So. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they've shown them off now because two of the products, uh, so the the Belkin earbuds and the Chipolo tracker, they're not available to buy. They won't be available for months. 
Um, the van move bikes have been on sale for a while and they're getting the feature. So like they were on pre-order and now they're like months and months back ordered. I don't really know why they needed to announce this uh, last week. Like it doesn't, I don't really understand the thinking behind it when it's so limited and barely any of the products are available. Mm-hmm. I don't it's a really mystery, it. isn't it? It is a bit of a mystery. I mean, we're going to talk about this later on, but uh, I think some, so there were a bunch of balls in the air and some of them have just started to fall <laughs> at the moment is kind of how it feels. Um, and this is just one of them that... Yeah. <laughs> The fall, one of the falling balls. Yes, yeah. Like that sounds about. That's a great metaphor for air tags too. Is like it's a you know it's out there. It's will it ever hit the ground? Will it evaporate before it hits the ground? It's out there. They're juggling a bunch of stuff. Did we lose a ball? Did the air tags not come down. Where did the air tags go? Like I can imagine they maybe like made these arrangements with these three companies, right? And it's like, oh, we're going to yeah. talk about it on such and such date. But then they haven't released air tags yet, but they've already committed to these other companies, yeah. and there's no harm in putting it out there. So we're just going to put it out there. But so it's very strange. Me, I'll give I'll give you the the alternate view of this, which is okay. if you if imagine this is going to be hard. This is like trying to erase people's memory for years so it's not possible but like imagine there were no rumors about air tags okay. okay yep apple announces a new api that lets other devices attach to the find my network which you use to find your apple devices and uh they announce it as part of ios 14 it rolls out in 14.3 they make a press release for for uh for april where they say yay the first products that incorporate this are being released and here it is and we all go oh okay and that's right. it. Like that right. is <laughs> that is the other way to view this right. is that it has potentially nothing to do with air tags. Like potentially the existence or non-existence of air tags, the great existential question of our time is not necessarily relevant at all to this. It may be a thing that's happening on a separate track. I mean, conspiracy theories are great and it may be so that they're good. doing this because they're about to release air tags or they just killed air tags and we can't tell, but you could look at it from the bigger picture of like, yeah, they said they were going to do third party support. Here it is. There's only a couple of companies. It's not that interesting, but it's there. Uh, and I guess it's like if that if the air tags never existed, we'd still be saying like, "Oh, what it's weird that they've done it now when there's com- these products aren't available, but then we would just blame it on those companies and move on, right? Like that Apple would said this date, these companies just didn't have their products ready in time, and that's right. the end of that. Yeah, yeah. So it's also yes, entirely possible that Apple is doing this to prime the pump, and that they've got an AirTags announcement coming, mm-hmm. and they want you know they're happy to get this out there to show that it's not a a monopolistic move, but mm-hmm. um. I don't know. I don't know. At some point, uh, you've got to wonder what it, whether whether AirTags is officially like not going to exist because they've done something like this. I do think it's worth asking that question. Uh, no, I think it will. I just think this is to try and stop them from getting sued again. Yeah, I mean that. I think that's a perfectly valid interpretation. Is that after Tile basically said, "How dare you lock us out?" Um, Apple decided they were going to open it up so that third parties could join under Apple's terms, right? Yeah. Using Apple's system, which Tile yeah. doesn't like. And then when Apple comes out with its tracker, it's not going to be a monopoly play. It's going to be entering into a market that already contains other products. So look how magnanimous we are. And I could imagine it would actually help sell AirTags. Like if you buy products 
that have the integration built into them, you then understand more why you might want these little tags or things that don't have them. Like I'm sure some some tech forward backpack company, like a Peak Design or whatever, is going to integrate this into a bag, right? Sure. Which would be friggin' awesome, by the way. Yeah. And I, I recommend some company tries to do that because I think it would be pretty cool. But then eventually, you know, you're going to be like, oh, I've got it in a couple of my products. I like this. I, I want to get some more of these things. But I do also think, as you say, right, like Tile, as soon as the rumor started, Tile filed an antitrust lawsuit. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? We've got enough of these going on right now. We don't need another one. Yeah, and again, would they build this entire feature just because one company threatens a lawsuit? I'm not sure. I think it's maybe a little more likely, this is pure speculation on my part, that they had always talked about doing a third-party integration, Mm -hmm. and it was not necessarily highly prioritized, and the tile thing happens, and they're like, why don't we bump that up? (laughs) Why don't we we get that that up there? Whoever was making the argument to do this got... Uh, you know, they got right. some additional ammunition in that meeting. Yeah, so, so we'll bump that one up a little bit, increase the priority there. Um, yeah, it's a it's a funny story that this product just continues being out there as a rumor. They're like, oh no, no, they're going to do it. Yeah, they're sure they're going to do it, and they never do it. So I don't know how excited I am about air tags. It's more like a, a feeling of relief mm-hmm. when if they ever get announced that it'll be out in the world and we won't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> like will have been his story will have been resolved in some way or other. But um, yeah, as you point out, what's really interesting here is using, and we've talked about it a lot for people who don't know, like Apple has built this very interesting infrastructure where every uh, Apple product in existence essentially is logging um, Bluetooth LE IDs as they go by. And there's a way for them to when it's a privacy controlled system it was something that's very similar to what they use for their um their their tracking thing for covid um and the idea is if you're if you lose your device and it's not on the internet it's still emitting a little bluetooth chirp and if you mark it as lost um devices can say oh i saw that on such a date at this location and nobody knows whose device it is it's just a bunch of of um of randomized numbers, but they can be matched because you know what all your devices' random numbers were. Your your Apple ID knows that. It's a it's a complex system, but the idea is that even if you're not, it's not like a lot of the Find My stuff that's with Apple devices where it only works if they're on the internet. Basically, this mm-hmm. is much more complex. It's the new Find My infrastructure, and if somebody with an iPhone walks past the bushes where your keys with an air tag thing got dropped it's it's going to see it and say oh there it is that's where it is because it's going to be able to log that data and show it to you and it's a system that's built based on everybody's privacy but it does sort of turn every apple device into a finding mechanism for this thing and then they're working on ultra wideband with the u1 chip where you're going to get even finer kind of detailed control over yep. it so this is this is going to be this is a very good cool set of technologies that has nothing other than Apple devices using it right now. I mean, I would assume that there's going to be an ultra wideband something in the next uh, AirPods cases, for example, or maybe even the next AirPods. I think they're going to like, I think Apple's going to put this in all of their products because they want this to just sort of be Apple products are universally findable. But the idea that it could be, as you said, in a backpack or in sort of any accessory that you can think of that you might lose. um, I think that's pretty great. But um, 
the devil is in the details. So I guess we'll see how this plays out in terms of who adopts this stuff. This episode is brought to you by FitBob, the fitness app that provides a personalized exercise plan, a fitness plan to actually fit you. When it comes to fitness, FitBob believes that everyone can be better. Whether you're working out three days a week or twice a day, FitBob has an algorithm which uses data and analytics to help you build on your previous workout so that your next workout is scientifically proven to be better than the last. FitBob has been fine-tuned by certified professional trainers to bring the best practices of strength training to you. Your workout program is tailored exactly to suit your needs, so it will be perfect for your body, experience, environment, and goals. It can be really hard to know exactly how much you should be doing when you're exercising. So FitBold will figure it out for you so you don't have to worry about under or overtraining. It's going to mix up muscle groups and exercises, sets, reps, and weight over time to help keep you on top form, whilst also making sure you stay on a path that's right for you, helping you take the steps that you want to towards becoming a better version of yourself. If you're working out at home right now, FitBod has a bunch of bodyweight-only workouts. These are super for indoors or outdoors, but if you have access to gym equipment, they have tons of great options for you there too. It doesn't matter what you have, what you want to do, what you want to focus on. They have the stuff that you're going to need. They got all the uh, different exercises. They all have these great little videos, which I really like. It makes it really easy to understand. Um, I like that they have this diagram inside of the application that shows you what parts of your body you've worked out and what's going to be next. I also really love their integration with the Apple Watch, so I don't have to be looking at my phone the whole time when I'm doing exercises with FitBod, and I can also uh, adjust them and move forward to the next one, that kind of thing. I really like that they provide a variance. I've, I've done stuff before this where it felt like I was just doing the same thing every day, and I find that boring, but with FitBod, you do get uh, some variance in your workouts to help keep it exciting and engaging. FitBod is available on iOS and Android, and you can get started right now by going to fitbod.me slash upgrade. And if you do, you'll also get 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me, F-I-T-B-O-D dot me slash upgrade to try out FitBod for free and get that 25% off your FitBod membership. Our thanks to FitBod for their support of this show and Relay FM. So uh, there were some Bloomberg articles that published this morning, which I love when that happens. Uh, I especially love it when I see these articles before I've done all the prep for the show. So that makes me happy because I saw mm-hmm. these before I sat down to start uh, looking at what we were going to talk about today. Um, they're on. They're both on the shorter side, but they've got some interesting stuff to them. So the first one comes from Mark Gurman, and it's focusing on Apple's home products. So I'll read a quote. The company is working on a product that will combine an Apple TV set-top box of a HomePod speaker and include a camera for video conferencing through a connected TV and other smart home functions, according to people familiar with the matter. Yes, please. People. Yes, please. This is exactly what I want. It is a uh, Apple TV soundbar thing. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good to me. Um, I, I, uh, I really like this idea. Um, I mean, it's not a soundbar. I well, I guess it is HomePod. It could be right. It's it's a it's an Apple TV yeah. and HomePod together. So you would expect that yeah. its purpose is to provide you with a home cinema experience. You're right. You're right. Yeah, this is the this is the Apple TV home uh, soundbar. 
with a camera, right? I wrote a piece about this. I've been on this for a long time. Like, yep. uh, I, I wrote a piece about this at Macworld where I suggested that they should make like an Apple TV that literally is just like an Apple TV with a camera that you clip on the top of your TV. And then you've got FaceTime and you've got all these other things that you can just do in your living room and all of that. This is a little bit even more than that because you're right, it is kind of a sound bar. You put it under your TV or over your TV and it's Apple TV, uh, sound and uh, video conference all in one. Uh, very interesting, and also interesting from the uh, the broader perspective of um, what's going on. Is Apple trying things in the home space? Right, mm-hmm. like we've, we've been reading the tea leaves. I got inappropriately excited about a thread radio in a HomePod Mini, but again, it's the idea that, like, are they actually waking up and and trying stuff new, a new wave of stuff in the home? And this is certainly. Um, you know, this is really interesting. And I've seen some people say, you know, it feels like a Facebook portal. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, this, you are right. This does sound like, uh, it's an Apple TV soundbar with FaceTime in it too. Like with the ability to do video or zoom or whatever. Right. And if they put some intelligent sort of like camera tracking in it, where they've got a, a wide camera that can zoom in on on faces and stuff or who's talking mm-hmm. um, so so that you know you can that the video that it's sending out looks good and not like the picture of a of a of a living room with a person sitting in one chair which is a little less good uh, I don't know really interesting idea and I think as I've as I've beaten the drum about repeatedly I think Apple TV as soundbar works spectacularly well because then you've got great sound and um and the all your video sources all in one attached to your TV. I just think that that's a product they could sell and that people would like. I want to come back to what you were saying about the camera, um, and we'll do that by talking about what else is in this um, rumor from Mark. Uh, Additionally, Apple are also still considering a new high-end HomePod device that uses a touchscreen and includes a camera. Apple has explored connecting the iPad to the speaker with a robotic arm that can... <laughs> they say iPad. I, I, I've, that's a quote, actually. I really didn't like the way this pop was written in the article. No. They talk about the fact of like just taking a HomePod and iPad and putting them together as if that's what Apple was going to do. It's not what they're going to do. and like So I don't like the way it's written, but that's the way it's written. Right. Apple has explored connecting the iPad to the speaker with a robotic arm that can move to follow a user around a room similar to Amazon's latest Echo Show. So the new Echo Show, by the way, looks amazing. I think we're both Echo Show users. Like we just, are. just the, the the industrial design of it's really cool. It looks like the iMac G4. You know, it's like a little bit in some ways. A little it's bit. like a base and it's got an, uh, like a little arm and there's a screen on it. And it's really clever that if you use the Echo Show for calls, it, it physically follows you around if you're walking right. around a space. And I've thought to myself, like, that looks really cool. But the problem with a device, that specific device for me, is I can't use all of the video chat services that I would want to use, namely FaceTime. So if I wanted a product like this, which I think I kind of do, I need Apple to make it. So I would be really into this HomePod. And I'll tell you something, right? HomePod, as a name, this product makes way more sense for it than this, than like, expensive music speaker like, yeah this feels like a product which is centered around things that occur in the home right uh, way also more. one of the most baffling things about the home pod up to now is that it had no interface right like mm-hmm. apple just decided to make it a faceless speaker with a little glowy thing on the top and apple has 
iPad OS, mm-hmm. it has iOS, it has TV OS, it has watch OS, right? It's got a lot of screen-based operating systems with apps and with a visual interface, right? And so when Mark's story says with an, a touchscreen, but then says an iPad, um, it's, you know, Apple's not going to sell a screen with a, an iPad holder that you snap an iPad into. That would be bananas. Who, mm-hmm. who would do that? Mm-hmm. But I think the idea that Apple would sell a uh, HomePod-like thing with a screen on it and the screen could move around and follow you or whatever, but also that it would have the ability to display information. Think about Apple's widgets. Think about tvOS apps. Um, one of the things I hate about the Amazon Echo Show, and I've talked about it here, is um, I hate that it uses Fire tvOS, but won't let me install Fire TV apps. So, like, if I want to watch a particular video service on the screen in my kitchen while I'm cooking, um, I can't because Apple or uh, Apple Amazon has just decided, nah, we're not going to support that on the Echo Show. Mm-hmm. even though it's supported on the Fire TV platform on which the show is based. So I think about something like this, and I think, you know, Apple could just put tvOS on this thing or a modified version of tvOS. Or, yeah, I suppose a modified version of iPadOS, but I think that's probably the wrong thing to do. I, I think having this be an iPod, iPad is a little bit weird. Yep. Um, but whatever it is, you want to have something that will show you helpful things and listen to Siri and play videos and do FaceTime and all of those things. And I, I, you know, it's this, this article is just like, I had a moment of, of, am I being pranked here? Because this is all stuff that we've been throwing out as ideas of how Apple could take its existing technology and build interesting smart home products for years. We've been doing that. And, um, and, and there's been sort of nothing. And this story makes it sound like they're actually at least trying this stuff out and considering it as products. And I think that's great. Yeah, you're saying about the, it would be cool if it ran tvOS. I think sometime in the last year or so, um, they, they merged the HomePod's operating system into the tvOS area rather than in iOS. So when HomePod first launched, it was updated as part of iOS and that was where all the HomePod stuff lived. Um, But then they changed it. They changed it to be updated with the TV. So, you know, that could have been the beginning of something like this. You know, like what would it take to have a HomePod device that ran some software that was closer to tvOS than iOS? And I actually think that would make a lot of sense. I mean, tvOS is, is very, like, touchscreen. Right, like you know, it's 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 super. You could super easily imagine uh, all of the buttons and everything you tap just being available for you to touch rather than to use a remote for. Right, like yeah. it's it's not a complex UI. Right, like you you could no. use it quite easily in that T- way. TV, yeah, tvOS feels very much like it could be adapted for a touchscreen very easily and then throw in like i said widgets is an interesting example too where those widgets exist on all these other platforms and it would be very easy to see uh to imagine sort of widgets appearing on that device uh as well which you know widgets are kind of like they're kind of like watch apps they're kind of like you know they're they're all of a kind so because because what i found is that with the echo show um you kind of the screen's most valuable thing is it's display of kind of ambient information and Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. and 
Amazon does a very bad job of that. Like there's a menu you can do to com- customize things. And even if you turn most things off, it still will tell you, try saying this to, to the Alexa and see what she says. And like, I don't ever want to see those. Doesn't matter. They're going to show them to me anyway, along with random pictures that I've selected from my photo library and random sports scores. And it's just kind of this mismatch. And I think to myself, well, first off, Amazon should do a better job here. And second, could Apple do a better job of that? And Google may do a better job. I don't know. I haven't used any of the the Google Home devices. But like ambient information out of widgets and apps and other sources is like, this is not stuff that Apple's platforms don't already do. Like it's all the pieces are there to make something that would be really compelling. And so like just to put it into context, we both like our Echo shows, but we agree. I agree with you on everything that you're saying, which shows just how low the bar is. Like you do not have to do a lot to make a product in this category, in this form factor, that is liked by people, right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I mean, one of the reasons I'm sure that we both like it is that, you know, the, the Echo Smart Assistant is quite reliable. I, I find it to be, for me anyway, for the things that I want it to do, it, it's the most reliable. So you do have to get that part right. But the idea of, like, what makes it good to have a screen the amount of information that we get from this product at the moment, it's not a lot, you know, and I'm happy with it. Like, it shows me the weather most of the time. If I have yeah. timers running, I can see those. Like, it's not difficult stuff. And and also, the touch screen and its sensitivity is garbage. Like, it's so bad. It's real bad. It's but real bad. I like the product because for what I want it for, it does all of that stuff. And but- I do wish that I could take advantage of everything that it did but i'm just not as deep into the amazon ecosystem as it would like me to be yeah it's also you mentioned the touch screen i think that's a good point is these devices in my opinion don't have a touch first experience they have a voice first experience the touch is there and it's nice to have it Mm -hmm. and you can you know mine's on the back of the bar and so if i'm uh in the kitchen i'm reaching over the counter and then you know it's not a great touch based location of of at all right and yet Mm -hmm. TVOS is driven by the Siri remote, right? So theoretically. So it's supposedly a voice-driven thing already. And then you could also potentially use touch on it. And I think, yeah, I think uh, it's not ideal. The bar is super low. Um, even, Even for Amazon's devices, it just, again, drives me up with a wall that they have all this capability on their Fire OS platform and the Echo Show has none of it. Like none of it. Why? Why there's a Hulu app on it, but not a Netflix app is beyond me. I have no idea why. It's all the same platform. So th- there are issues here. But you're right. The touchscreen isn't very good. The home screen experience isn't very good. Um, Alexa's skill thing. Sorry, uh, the Amazon Echo skill <laughs> platform is hard to understand, hard to set up, doesn't work. I mean, once it's connected, it works fine. But mm-hmm. to get to that point is oh boy. Not a great experience. So I feel like... It seems like there's multiple different types of skills and you're not really sure which is which. But the fact that it is open means you can get lots of cool stuff uh, or stuff that's interesting. You know, like there's some... some, You know, like I've said it before, like our grocery delivery service has an Echo skill. So we can just add things to our shopping order from the Echo that is very good. Like I, I yeah, it's one of my that, very favorite features. That, that's our number one. Our number one use. Well, our number one use is timers. Mm-hmm. Our our number two use is 
shopping list mm-hmm. because we use any list and there's an any list skill that syncs with the uh, Amazon uh, shopping list. Mm-hmm. And that's what we use. Like when, when you connect a skill, you're like, oh, this is really good. It's just they're hard to find. A lot of them yep. don't exist. Like, and, and I'll also point out, well, why do you even use one? Uh, I got mine for like 30 bucks. That's the other thing is I have an Echo Show 8 and I traded in my original Echo Show. They were having a special. I, I had trade-in credit. And so for something like, tw- I think it was like 20 bucks, I got an Echo Show 8. And I know the list price is like 80 bucks or something. And, and you can get refurb ones for 60. But that's the other part of it is also it's a cheap little kitchen appliance. It doesn't have to give me the world because it's not that expensive. It's not that complicated, but it does the job. And also I will say the speakers sound okay. The speakers sound fine. You can play music on them. They're not going to sound as good as a HomePod, but they sound pretty good. So like they're they're and, and I feel bad that I haven't tried out the Google stuff, but I just haven't. And I'm, I would bet that Google probably does a better job than Amazon does at this uh, is just my guess. But from what I've seen, the user interface is much more visually uh, appealing. It could it couldn't be worse. Like that. <laughs> yeah. It's not it Amazon's couldn't have having suit. used the Echo Show from the beginning. Amazon's level of detail that they put into their visual interfaces is poor. It's better than it used to be. And now that I can play Apple Music on it, right? Like I I can see the album art and it shows me the information mm-hmm. and that like that's nice. But I just there's there's opportunity in this area and Apple has. This is my frustration with a lot of Apple stuff lately. Is they have all the pieces to build this stuff. It's not going to take a lot of reinvention. They have so many of the pieces already. And then they just, and the bar, uh, the barrier to entry, let's say, in these categories is super low because the products that are in there aren't that good. And then, and yet with the HomePod, you see them come into the smart speaker area and they just whiffed it because they made very bad product decisions that made the product super overpriced and not appealing. And so when I see these these reports from people like Mark Gurman, I think, well, on, on the one hand, that's super encouraging that they're actually considering doing what they totally should do. Um, my worry is that they're going to be coming in against a $100 product or or, or the, the larger, you know, Echo Show. The new Echo Show is, I don't know, 250 like my my worry is that they're going to come in with something and it's mm-hmm. going to be five hundred dollars. Um, whereas if it was three hundred or two fifty, comp- competing against that ten inch uh, Echo Show, maybe they would have something. I think for me, what I'm excited about with this report is if Apple are going to continue making both of these products, this indicates that they are now making the exact products I want in those two areas. Like, If I'm going to buy an Apple TV again, I want it to be a high-end feeling product, right? That's the only point of having an Apple TV now. Like For the HomePod, I do think that they need to be aggressive on price and features, as you're saying, but for the Apple TV, give me a really good home cinema experience put a camera on it because otherwise like i will just use the app that's built into my tv to get the content right like i can get them all it's built into the television or i can buy something for 20 dollars that's just plugged straight into the hdmi port right like 
if you're going to continue making an Apple TV product, I do think that they should make a high-end product, and this sounds like it. Um, and that one excites me a lot, especially now sure. Now that I haven't bought a soundbar. Now I won't, right? right? <laughs> like, I will wait now. And the right way to judge Apple is to judge it against the high-end products in the market, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is – Apple's not going to make an Echo Show 5 for 80 bucks or an Echo Show 8, right? They're not going to do that. If they make one, it will be that Echo Show 10 style that's mm-hmm. $250. Mm-hmm. There, there's they are not going to go down below that. And, and the soundbar, similarly. And the this this I, I do like the idea of you know because the, the, one of the things that I like about the Echo products especially is I like having these sort of like ambient home computers right yeah it's a great yeah. type of thing it's a thing where you can ask it for things otherwise it will give you basic information and I genuinely think that not only could Apple do a better job with that it's also more tied into everything else in my life it has all this data about me that right. amazon does not have like right. my calendars and stuff right because we're in the ecosystem yeah. yeah if 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 i could put scriptable on there and use my widget that i built to show my air quality and my weather station and stuff i mean that would be so great and it would sync via icloud so i'd probably be able to use the exact same widget mm-hmm. you know there's so many benefits to being in the ecosystem and then adding in the cameras so I can have FaceTime calls and stuff and follows me. Like, I love all of that. Like, it sounds great. Like, I'm I'm into it, you know. So the development yeah. of both of these products are apparently still in the early stages, which I understand. When I was reading this, though, I kind of felt like we, we've been asking for basically Apple to have uh, the round table for their smart home devices like they did for exactly. the Mac. And I... It feels like they've done that because if they do release these products, this is a huge recommitment to the home, right? And also, they've gone ahead and done the things that we want them to do. They should still invite some journalists to come and sit on that uh, home set that they used. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just to, you know, sit around a table there and be like, "This this is our home. Good morning. This is Tim. We've recommitted to this home. We love this home. Look what's in it. Uh, we'll see if anything comes of this, right? They yeah. got to execute. They got to yeah. they got to make these products and have them make sense. And if the HomePod uh, taught us nothing else, they need to have it be a product at a suitable level where people will want to buy it, right? It's not they need to make them good because the HomePod, I would say, was good. It just cost way too much. And it was the wrong, and if you would argue, and some will, oh, but for what you get, it didn't cost way too much. It's like, okay, but it costs way too much to be bought by people. That's the, that's the issue here, right? So, so a lot of this is calibrating what level of product you're trying to go. If you want to make a home uh, speaker with screen that does video conferencing that you could put in a kitchen or on the dining room table or wherever you put it, what does that product feature? feature set look like what does the mm-hmm. price look like do you make it four hundred dollars or three hundred dollars or two hundred dollars like those are the key questions and this suggests maybe they're tr- tr- asking those questions and that's great but you know they could they could make the wrong decisions and we could end up with a product that is messed up in some way that uh, is a flop so i'm excited mm-hmm. but guarded i think that the the home pod also cost too much for the product category that people expected it was going to be. Like, I I don't think Apple were really making uh, Echo competitor. 
right? Like they wanted to make this really amazing speaker which had Siri in it. I would you know? say, I, I think you're right. I think that though that's the hubris of the HomePod. Exactly. Right? It was a bad, it was the stupid decision. You don't need an Amazon Echo. Yeah. You don't need that garbage. You just We're going to, here comes Apple. We're going to make you a brilliant audiophile speaker. That's what we're going to do. And you're going to buy it. And the answer was, we're not going to buy it. Because no. they, you know, even before that, and I think the HomePod was that, like Apple basically kind of turned its nose up at having a device that needed to have it. They were just like, oh, we just use Siri. Like, what's the problem? Like, you know, all of your devices, because they, that was when, you know, when, when the Echo was starting to become popular was when Apple did all of that stuff about, you know, like the device prioritization and all that kind of stuff, right? And I think it was kind of just like, oh, well, we're going to make this amazing product that you're going to love, but we don't need to compete with the Echo because you could just use it in your phone or your watch or your iPad. Or, like, and, and it isn't really what people were looking for in a, in a device. So I think that they, they really seem to approach it from the wrong angle. And if it does come to pass, this new HomePod idea definitely sounds much more like the product it should have been. Even if it ends up being way more expensive than the competitors, which it obviously will be at least some, but even if it ends up be slotting right back into that overpriced price point again, it will at least, I think, do a better job of what people want it to do than the original HomePod did. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Technology Untangled. I love finding new podcasts to listen to. I love, especially love finding podcasts where I can go back and listen to their back catalogs and really catch up, really binge them. I've definitely, this one has been one of my things of like 2020 and 2021 is podcast back catalog binging. Let me tell you about something you can go and check out right now. It is Technology Untangled. It's hosted by Michael Bird. It is a show that deciphers technology's rapid evolutions with one simple question in mind. What is going to shape our future and what's going to end up in the bargain bin along with the floppy disk? I listened to a recent episode about supercomputers and what we're using them for today. I really enjoyed this episode because as I pressed play, I was kind of thinking, I don't really know what a supercomputer does, nor do I know why we would need them in 2021 because computers are so powerful. This episode answered these two questions perfectly for me because one of the things that's really making supercomputers more powerful now is AI, which obviously makes sense. Um, And I also was kind of keen to understand what exactly makes a supercomputer super, and they go into exactly what that is. I'm not going to spoil it. You should listen to yourself. Uh, And there's also some very modern day examples of how supercomputers have been used to identify possible treatments for coronavirus, which is also super interesting. Past guests on the show include people from large companies like Google, Aston Martin Red Bull Racing, the New York Times, Nokia, and many more to help tell these stories. And some other episodes that you might enjoy uh, talking about 5G, kind of why it's good, who it's for, and what it could mean for you. and then looking at like the future of jobs and artificial intelligence, energy innovation, missions to Mars, and sport for choice. Tons of great ideas in Technology Untangled. You can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts, and we'll include a link in the show notes. Our thanks to Technology Untangled for their support of this show and Relay FM. Debbie Wu was reporting for Bloomberg as well. This is a short article, but is useful, I think, that Apple still plans on releasing their new iPad Pro this month, but they are struggling with the production of the mini LED screen, so they're getting low yields. Yeah, maybe this explains something about these event, you know, planned events that keep sliding backward and uh, product releases. Like, I I like that the reports seem to be very firm that there is going to be a new iPad Pro this month. Like, I like that. I like hearing that. 
that they're going to do it, but it does sound like it's going to be limited supply for a while that they're, and this gives some detail of that, that the, the screen is slowing them down. Mm -hmm. And then there may be, you know, the broader issues too, that there, there is a, uh, a supply constraint in other parts worldwide that is uh that is limiting apple's tablet and laptop plans yep. like that you put that all together um and that might explain a lot about what it, we've been hearing well because this was it right there was some reporting of this in uh the tail end of last week and which kind of makes sense right there is a global uh shortage right now of chips like any kind of chip it's there a lot of the companies that make them have got these huge back orders. There's parts issues, all kinds of stuff, right? Every industry is suffering if you put a chip in something, which is basically everyone. Uh, and it's like, it's like a million different reasons for it. And it's just kind of like perfect storm kind of scenario. And so the assumption by some, including myself last week, as this started coming out, more reports that started coming out, is maybe one of the reasons we haven't seen an Apple event is because they're having shortages with the chips. And now yeah. there's another thing to suggest, though. Maybe also <laughs> they can't make the screen for the new one. Right. Because right? this is a new screen technology, and yeah. it may be that the production of it, once you crank it up to uh, volumes that they need, is is difficult and they're going to have to figure out how to make it in volume and they haven't right like and that's one of those things where can we make them yes do they work yes do they look good yes all right let's put it in production oh now what do we have to learn right and i, mm -hmm. I would bet that happens a lot mm -hmm. with new technologies that once you put it in production um that you have issues and so I'm not entirely surprised that this is happening. No. It explains it. I guess this is any time that a product appears to be supply constrained or is supply constrained at launch. It's just they haven't gotten efficient at making it yet. At making them at volume. Yeah. At scale. And so, mm -hmm. but this time they seem to be having a particular struggle and which would make sense. It's a, it's a new screen technology. So all of this suggests that if they do ship or launch iPad Pros this month, which this report is still saying, April, there's not a lot of April left. We're nearly halfway through. Um, that the 12.9 model could still ship later as well as being supply constrained. Because the, the rumors have said that there will be multiple iPads. They're going to refresh the iPad Pro line. But the mini LED technology will only be in the 12.9 inch iPad. Right. So they may launch the new iPads. And if there's anything else. And then also but say like, hey, you can buy them now. But the 12.9 shipping later. Or you can buy the 12.9 in a couple of weeks time. So, right. so you know, this is one of those things where we're in a... It kind of, I don't want to say it's like it's an unprecedented feeling, but it's a feeling that I don't remember in a long time of they're feeling like there should be an event, but also that feeling of it should have been a month ago. You know, like we usually have this feeling of like, oh, is there going to be an event? But like th this time it feels like there really should have been one already. Right. Because you're looking at stuff like iOS 14.5. And Apple's doing, and Tim Cook's doing more interviews about app tracking transparency. But it this is only going to be enforced once 14.5 ships. So it feels like the machine is running, but nothing's coming out, right? Like, we're doing all this stuff, which would seem to indicate that iOS 14.5 is coming. But we're also, it hasn't, and we're not telling you when. And it really right. feels like that 14.5 it's in lockstep with some hardware, right? Which is something that they do. 
when they have new hardware, they have a new operating system version, and sometimes there's some secret things that aren't in the uh, in the betas, but it comes out in the release. And we said this for a while that it seems like 14.5 is being held for products. And now it feels like more and more stuff is being added into iOS 14.5 because they're just waiting. And it's just, it's, well, we were talking about it last week, like this like snowball effect, like things just keep getting added. And it's just, we're kind of in this, this limbo. And it really feels like there should have been some products released by now, but they haven't been. This is what I thought would happen last year with the pandemic. Right. Yes. And we didn't get it last year. No. But it feels like we're getting it's it now, now, which is it's a little sluggish. And it is because of the pandemic in some probably in some so. ways. Yeah. Right. But yeah. uh, it's just funny that it's taken this long for there to be that effect. But this is it's as I say, like when I talk about perfect storm, that is one of one of the reasons, right? Like there is there is lots of reasons. I'm sure that the ever given is probably something to do with it, right? Like you know, there's just all these weird things that have occurred in the last few months. It's just led to there being the shortage of chips. But then Apple's also got this this yield issue. Um, and if you're not familiar, yield just means like of all of the screens that they produce too many of them are bad like they're just yeah not good they, fa- enough. they fail mm-hmm. so you end up with a s- scenario where um the uh you you're like i'm counting on a thousand that i make i can and i don't know what the numbers are 990 of them 940 of them yields are different right but like mm-hmm. and you'd be surprised some things just have bad bad yields and you're like wait a second you throw away a hundred you throw you throw away a uh, hundred out of a thousand, <laughs> one in ten, you throw away, and it's like, well, yeah, that happens, right? But what if it's, what if it's two in ten, right? What if it's three in ten? Yeah, it's like, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't. We there, there, we we can't do that. You can't throw away half the ones you make, <laughs> right? And I don't know what the levels are, but regardless, there's there is undoubtedly a target yield percentage that it, they're not hitting here. Yeah, and it's like you know, it's like we can't go into full scale production on this. Uh, until we can slim that down because we're just never going to be able to produce this at a price which makes any sense. Um, and, right. and, you know, things get weird from there. So who knows? I mean, I feel like every week I'm waiting for something, whether it's an event or press releases of products. Yeah, like- I really thought we might get something last week mm-hmm. saying especially since I was traveling last week yeah, <laughs> and it would have been very inconvenient for us to do a draft. You would have had me right where you want me. <laughs> um, but now I'm starting to feel like there's just going to be a, an announcement on a, like tomorrow or next Tuesday or something where they're just going to say, Hey, new iPads, here they are. Goodbye. <laughs> and we'll just, you know, deal with it that way. Jason, I have some upstream headlines for you. Oh, good. Good. It's good. You, you, you put, you pulled a little, uh, switcheroo on me and you moved upstream to a different place, but it's fine here. We can do it here. It's well, fine. The, the reason was, uh, I accidentally read a part of, like, I accidentally jumped to a different topic earlier oh, on yeah. the show. Oh yeah. A little behind the scenes people. Yeah. yeah. Mike just jumped way down in our show document and I was like, uh, are we talking about that now? Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I brought up the, our ad copy. I read the ad. I came back to the document and I was just in the wrong place and I didn't realize uh-huh. until it was too late and then just figured that I'll just roll with it. So yep. now we're going to talk about some Apple TV Upstream. Plus news. <laughs> <Upstream>. <laughs> Apple last week debuted The Line, a six-part narrative nonfiction podcast series 
and four-part documentary on Apple TV+. Plus. The podcast is available now. The TV show will be available in the fall. This is from Apple's PR. Uh, These Apple original series are independently reported and offer a unique perspective on previously untold aspects of the story of the U.S. Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher, who was charged with committing war crimes before ultimately being acquitted on all but one count for posing in a photo of a corpse. Both series will examine the complicated realities involved with fighting a decades-long war, stripping back the layers of surrounding Gallagher's alleged crimes. Crimes. what Jason is doing there is the the joke that the two of us often make about like murder podcasts. Yeah, this sounds like one, doesn't it? Yeah, like true alleged crime, crime terrible alleged things crime podcast, have happened. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I like this idea, and we're not making light of this situation. But like, Apple's like, huh? You want to talk about crimes? We're going to go to war crimes. You know, so like, just keep one upping everybody else. Um, this definitely sounds like the kind of podcast that people seem to enjoy on the whole. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> that Apple are doing it. They're <laughs> I working. love the way you phrase that. It's like, it's great that you like crime podcasts. It's great. Enjoy it's them. Just not for me. Like, not for I, me. I enjoyed the first series, uh, season of Serial. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of as far as it goes for me. And, and I think a lot of it is I was just caught up in the hype along with everybody else. Uh, the ending of Serial was one of the most disappointing things that, <laughs> right. that I have ever consumed with, with such uh, further. Um, the, the podcast is being made by a company called Jigsaw Productions. They're actually producing both sides of this, is my understanding, com- com- mm. from Apple's PR thing. Um, it, look, this is just interesting to me because this is a full original yeah. thing. And it's available everywhere, right? Like, it's not completely locked down. Uh, you know, th- this is not a compendium to something else. This is not a companion, I should say. This is not something obvious, like, let's do news. Right. This is, we are making a popular focused, right? Like, in in its kind of storytelling podcast. And uh, we're calling it an Apple original. And then because we have investment in this idea we're also going to do a tv show but they're not companions it's not like a companion it's telling the same story but with completely different people yeah so so it's interesting my only thing about this that i want to mention is although it is an interesting standalone thing it's not quite you could interpret this as an an experiment in can we use a podcast to build hype for our documentary, right? Like Mm -hmm. you listen to the podcast now find out about it in this documentary or alternately you enjoyed this documentary. There's also a podcast, Mm -hmm. right? And there's some sort of podcast and Apple TV plus programming synergy going on here. Um, But you're right. You could also just consume the podcast in isolation and never deal with the TV show and be fine. Which is not what it would be like for the say for all mankind. Podcast. Right. If yeah. Apple was dipping its toe in before, that's like its whole foot is in the in the water now, mm-hmm. right? But it's not not all it's not all in, but there's more of it in the premium original podcast space. Well, it's different to what they're doing with John Stewart. So John Stewart's Apple TV Plus show has a name now. It's called The Problem with John Stewart, which is a fantastic <laughs> name. Because it's it's got that dual dual meaning, right? Like what yeah. is wrong with John Stewart? And also every every episode uh, is looking at a specific issue, or every mm-hmm. season is looking at a specific issue. So it's the problem that they're going to be talking about with John Stewart. It debuts this fall. It will also have a companion podcast. 
right? Which goes along with what they're doing uh-huh. in the show. Um, it's a multi-season thing. We spoke about it before. I'm really intrigued. Well, and that's one. an example too, where Apple Apple made this deal with John Stewart, and mm-hmm. undoubtedly, I mean, it's possible that John Stewart's production company said we're gonna, you know, we want to do a podcast too. But it would not surprise me if Apple said we want a podcast too. We want we want you to do not just the show, but we want you to build a podcast around the content in the show. You know, use other correspondence or whatever. But like, we want them. We want it together. We want this as a package deal. And and that I think that's smart. I think as somebody who does some podcasts about TV shows, I think podcasts about TV shows connected to TV shows are great Mm -hmm. because if you're a fan, if you're somebody who's really into it, you want, you want more stuff, you want extras. And honestly, you know, video extras can be okay, but, but uh, a conversation with more depth about the show and how it was made or what you're trying to say, um, it's, I love those for shows that I really love. And I don't, you know, not every show I watch do I listen to the companion podcast of, but the ones that I really have enjoyed either because I love the show or because the podcast is executed so well that it really illuminates the show. Um, there's so many examples of that out there. So like, you know, the good place podcast and uh, the Chernobyl podcast and, you know, so, and Apple's doing the for all mankind podcast. And then there are all the independent ones, like the stuff that I do, like, I, I love it. So I think if you're making a TV show, you really ought to have a, a podcast component. I think there's, because you have the access, you're the ones making it. You can make it. If you're, if you're formulating your content, knowing there's a podcast and a TV show, I feel like that's the ideal thing because you can actually plan, like his staff can plan up front for what's in the show and then what goes on the podcast and maybe use the same people who built the show to talk on the podcast. And that's the best you can do. And let's just say, look, frankly, for the types of shows that, that these tend to be, they are not expensive to produce. Right. Now, I'm sure Apple is paying way more money than they need to be paying for these things because sure and and if you're john stewart and his production company you know you're you're probably going to hire podcast producers to build it right so it's Mm -hmm. it's still going to be relatively cheap compared to the tv show but you know it is you you know it is more people on your staff right to do this it is there is uh it's not like a a few thousand dollars or something right It's, it's it costs more than that but you're right compared to a tv budget it's nothing yeah, or like compared to any other type of companion thing you would do, like if you were going right. to do a YouTube thing, which is going to be cheaper than that, you know? Like yeah, exactly. So, Actually, you know. not to get not to not to bring it back to sixty minutes as an as a person oh, with gray no. hair, I get to talk about sixty minutes now. It's very exciting. Um, but that's an example where Paramount Plus, we're in upstream. We can do this. It's legal. Paramount Plus launched with sixty minutes plus and the idea there is that they're going to make extra segments mm-hmm. of 60 minutes and just put them on paramount plus it's not even a show it seems it's just segments and you know as talked about on upgrade the app is bad it's hard to find them i feel really bad for the correspondence because it's like i even kind of am interested in it and you can't find it it's really terrible and first off i thought you should put them in 60 minutes like literally in paramount plus they should be in with the 60 minute stuff you should be able to see it right because that's mm-hmm. that's better but i have now started to think maybe they should have just done a podcast maybe what instead of doing and i know for paramount plus they got funding to do something that was an exclusive for that but i'm thinking would this have worked better as a companion podcast about the sh- the stories that you're writing because you know in journalism one of the challenges of television journalism is that you've got to have interesting visuals 
And what I learned in journalism school and before when I was working on my uh, college newspaper, my high school newspaper, but but especially in in grad school where I did TV for a year, is there's like a, a continuum of the amount of quality like reporting that your medium allows you to do without boring people. And it starts with writing mm-hmm. and it goes to radio and then it moves to video. And when you're in video, if it doesn't have an interesting image, you just can't, you can't use it for very long. Even on a documentary, it's very, very, very hard to do that. And so I look at something like 60 Minutes and I think, well, of course you should have a podcast because you are doing all this reporting and talking to all these people <laughs> and you're throwing most of it away because it's a TV show and you've got 11 minutes and it's got to have interesting visuals. So I do, I do think everybody should have a podcast now too. Uh, also, Paramount Plus is very confusing. And according to a report from The Information, Apple is changing their stance a little bit as they want to be bringing more than their previous target of 12 feature films a year to Apple TV Plus as a way to bring more subscribers. So they spoke about this earlier, I think it was after Greyhound, that they wanted to increase to 10 to 12 feature films because they thought it would be good for them. And now they're like, uh, <laughs> we need five blades. They just want to keep adding more. Uh, <laughs> and to help them with this, they hired Jesse Henderson. Uh, Henderson was previously the executive VP of feature films for HBO Max at Warner Media, And they've hired Henderson to help them track down more feature films. Um, Something that I thought was interesting here is that I was wondering if there's a secondary thing, which is that that Apple may find these feature films as a way to secure stars to the platform. Because Mm. in the last week, they have announced that they've ordered two new series, one with Justin Timberlake and one with Tom Holland, who have both been in movies on Apple TV+. And so I just found that was interesting of like two new series get ordered with two stars that have already been in movies. So I figured maybe it's like a, could be like a dual thing. Like we get a movie and then if people like the experience, maybe we can sign them up for a TV show or see what other things they're working on. Mm. Right. And try and create these more of these kind of like symbiotic relationships with uh, big names. Well, and it, so the movie I, I wanted to, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I, one, one of the things that I find curious is the movie push by all of the streaming services because I don't subscribe to streaming services for their movies. Like if that makes any sense, or at least for their original movies, I don't do the thing where it's like, Oh, what's this week's Netflix original movie. I want to watch a Netflix original movie. What's this week's right? Whoa, I'm excited. I just don't like, there will be movies that will be on a streaming service that there are reviews of. And I'll be like, Oh, I want to watch that. Uh, Palm Springs came on Hulu. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'll watch that. But we know now that all of the streaming services are working very hard to do not just take things out of theatrical and put them on quickly on streaming, or day and date in the case of this year with HBO Max, but they're also buying movies at film festivals and things and putting them on. And there's kind of an, a little bit of an arms race. And on one level, that's great because a lot of those movies didn't have much of a theatrical audience anymore. The 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 kind of mid budget and indie movies, like there, there's room for more movies on streaming services, and I'm I'm glad that that's true. That said. I am more of a TV guy than a movie guy. Me too. I I don't 
Uh, like I said, I don't anticipate whatever the na- latest uh, original is, and yet these streaming services do be do seem to be rushing headlong into getting as many movies on their platforms as possible. I like your theory that it's a little bit about relationships and about proving yourself. Because the other thing that I find interesting is what if it's a what if it's not a TV show, but it's not a movie, and like the the Chris Evans thing that was on Apple TV Plus, right? Mm-hmm. That was a mini series. And I, I wonder about that sometimes if like stage one is we buy your movie. And then as you said, stage two is now we're going to put you in. Maybe it's a series. Maybe it's a mini series. Maybe it's another movie. But like, I think it's really interesting because there's a whole machine out there of like, I want to make a movie. I'm going to make a movie, independent movies. We're going to get funding. We're going to go to this film festival. And that's, that's great. And that's the kind of stuff that gets bought and put on streaming services. Um, what doesn't happen is I want to make a six hour miniseries and then I hope somebody buys it, right? <laughs> it's like that doesn't happen. So I do wonder if there's like an ecosystem building here where, um, uh, these companies get into, buy these movies, get into a relationship with the stars or other, other talent that they want, treat them really nicely and, and then go to them and their agents and say, you know, if you've got a long form project that you're interested in, bring it over, right? Like, mm-hmm. a, a, and just sort of recruit them that way it's fascinating to me but whatever they end up doing whatever their reasons it's clear they're just continuing to get more and more serious more movies yep. more movies and, and maybe movies. maybe i'm wrong maybe we will get to the point where you flip on your your uh, streaming services and it's like going to the movies on a friday night where it's like oh there are like five premieres there's one on hbo max there's one on netflix there's one on apple tv plus there's one on hulu there's one on prime video which what do you want to see we can watch a movie on a friday night i i can see the appeal of that even though i i don't do that so much and it has been fun when like when greyhound went on apple tv plus i was like oh tom hanks interesting let's watch that and i like that movie that was an enjoyable movie so i can see it um it, i i don't watch a lot of these direct to streaming movies um but i can see the appeal of it so i don't know i don't know this episode is brought to you by express vpn a few decades ago super easy to be a private person the internet has changed all of that think about everything that you look for everything that you tweet everything that you say all of this data can be collected up It can be aggregated, it can be sold to third parties. Having your life exposed for others to see was once something that only celebrities had to worry about, people in the public eye. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is in the public eye. To keep your data private, when you go online, you can turn to ExpressVPN. There are so many data brokers out there, their sole business is to buy and sell data. And the worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to. They don't have to actually tell you they're even doing it. Uh, One of these data points could be your IP address. This can uniquely identify you and your location. This is a conversation we've been having a lot recently and are going to continue to have more on the show uh, about the way that data is taken and, and sold online. With ExpressVPN, if you turn it on, it's very easy to do. Your connection can get rerouted through an encrypted server. Your IP address is masked, and it becomes even harder for data aggregators and and companies trying to target you to know who you are or where you are. So you're given a random IP address, which can be shared by many other ExpressVPN customers, so it's super difficult to identify individual people and take data or target to them. 
And it's also super easy to use. No matter what device you're on, whether it's a phone, a laptop, or a smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. I have ExpressVPN on all my devices, and it really is that simple. Uh, I can just open up the app and turn it on on my iPhone, on my iPad. It lives in the menu bar on my Mac whenever I need it, whenever I want it. It's super easy to turn on. I can say that I'm in a different location if I want, if I need to, say, read an article that's on a website that doesn't want to show it to me for some reason. It's super easy to use. I've watched HD video on ExpressVPN, and it works perfectly fine. It's super fast. It's actually really easy to forget you even have it on because you don't notice uh, any kind of degradation in your speed, of your internet speed, so it's really cool. If, like me, you believe that your data is your business, you can secure yourself with the number one rated VPN out there. Go to expressvpn.com slash upgrade, and you can get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash upgrade. So that's one last time, expressvpn.com slash upgrade to learn more and get three extra months for free. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for the support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. <laughs> Dr. Burrell asks, this is a fun one, uh, Dr. Burrell, because like, we get people's names, right? And their Twitter name was like uh, Dr. Something Burrell. And I figured I couldn't just use their first name, I felt like, because they, they, they said they're a doctor. So, you know, you've got to put the respect on it. So Dr. Burrell mm. says, I guess if you want me to ever say doctor, just change your Twitter name or your name in Discord to doctor, and I will clearly say it is what I've is what we can all learn from this. So if you ever want to send in a question... We'll also accept other titles. Captain, Yeah, Captain, Admiral. Commodore, all those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. if you have one of those names in your Twitter handle or your Twitter uh, display name or your Discord name, I will clearly read it. So this is something we've all learned. Dr. Burrell says, in the hypothetical of a larger iMac, you know, we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago, say 32 inches or so, would your preference be a higher resolution display or to keep it at 5K but at a higher refresh rate? Uh, I have complicated feelings about this. Good. So if we take a 27-inch iMac and just scale it up to 32 inches, but it's still just a 5K display, that means that the resolution is getting worse, right? The dots are going to get bigger we're literally just stretching a 27 inch interface up to 32 i don't think i support that i don't think i want bigger pixels on a on a screen that's you know larger i think if you're going to make the screen larger i'd like the resolution to be higher higher than 5k mm-hmm. um if this hypothetical had been if you have a 32 inch imac and it's the same would and it's the same resolution as the current 5K iMac. Uh, you know, would you prefer upping that resolution even more or going to a higher refresh rate? I'd say refresh rate because my Retina display doesn't need to be higher resolution than it is. But I I'm not really interested in taking the contents of my screen and spreading it out over a larger space and having everything be bigger. I guess I would could turn it down into sort of like smaller. Uh, smaller and more space mode, and maybe that would look okay. But I feel like I'm pretty happy with um, the resolution of this monitor as it is, and I would have mm-hmm. to see a 32-inch monitor at 5K and see if I I really liked that. But um, I'd prefer I'd prefer not. I'd prefer Apple to sort of keep it the way it is and just make it more pixels. Obviously, I would love to live in the world that you have proposed to get both. But if I had to choose, I think I would choose a higher refresh rate. And my reason for this is uh, I'm using a monitor right now at home, 
which I ostensibly bought for my gaming PC or my streaming PC, but I also plug my MacBook Pro into it. Uh, it is not Retina. Um, it's not five. It's not a five K monitor. I, I don't yeah. remember the exact resolution of it, and, and I'm fine with it. Right? I'll just say, like, I I have a monitor that's a five K monitor, and then this one isn't. Uh, I don't remember the exact resolution of it off the top of my head, but it's not. And I'm I can live with that. It doesn't bother me too much, to be honest. But when I switch from using my Mac to my PC, um. I really noticed the difference of the PC taking advantage of the uh, higher refresh rate of uh-huh. the display. And it feels so smooth, so smooth. Right. And so I, I, it's actually, honestly, I have noticed the refresh rate difference on this more than I even noticed a promotion on the iPad. Like, it wow. feels like the mouse cursor moving across the screen just feels so nice like and it makes the machine feel faster in a way it's very interesting i'm going to defer to you on this because i the challenge here is that i don't ever look at my mac screen and say oh i wish it was smoother scrolling or i wish the cursor moved more smoothly but and and although i appreciate promotion on my ipad a lot um it you know i'm going to defer to you here that maybe maybe higher refresh rate is the way to go if it is that pleasurable an experience to have it be like that. So I'm going to leave it. I mean, the problem with, with this hypothetical is I have not seen uh, or spent any amount of time in front of a 32-inch 5K display or mm-hmm. in front of a high refresh rate PC. Um, and so I can't, I'm just trying to imagine. And, you know, I, I suspect if I sat down in front of one or those two options for 15 minutes, I could probably give you a, a definitive answer. And it's very hard to do so without doing that. So the monitor that I have, uh, it is 2560 by 1440. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, it's like nearly 4K or whatever. I don't know, but it's uh, 144 hertz refresh rate. And the difference really is quite, astounding when i when i move from uh, os to os on this machine on that monitor so it's cool eric asks the new apple arcade games that you spoke about last week like threes plus and flip-flop solitaire plus aren't on the apple tv or the mac do you think this signals a shift in apple arcade or have those games not been ported yet so i think this was actually a part that i didn't think about to talk about last time when we were talking about the fact that this did seem like a shift I think that the 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 idea that these have to exist on the Mac and the Apple TV that is arcade originals. If it's not an arcade original, they're yeah. not going to make you do this. Yeah, I I saw a note on Twitter this morning where somebody was like, "Well, wait a second. I thought the whole appeal of Apple Arcade was that they were exclusives." And it's like, "Well, no." Who cares? How is that an appeal to anybody like except Apple? That's that's exactly it. So so yes, if your appeal is oh ho, I get games nobody else gets on this platform. Like I guess that was that was part of a larger thing, which was you pay money and you get games, right? And what Apple's doing here is repositioning Apple Arcade to be three things. It's Apple Arcade Originals over here. Those are the exclusives, and again, the exclusives have always had an asterisk, which is it's exclusive to mobile platforms, and you know, so that's over there. But then there's the new stuff. That is the uh, the you know free. It's on the App Store, but now you can get it for free with Apple Arcade. These plus things, and the idea of like the retro stuff that's being revived. Um, and there the are three different streams for game content on Apple Arcade. 
I think it's interesting to point out that stuff doesn't show up on the Mac or on Apple TV in some of the other categories, because that could be a shift in Apple strategy. It could be just the reality that they couldn't get it up and, and running with those things. And I don't know that, you know, the, it, are they willing to pay to bring it over, but not willing to pay to have it be uh, built for other platforms? Some Maybe? games just wouldn't work, right? Like, now, if you're go if you're building a, a, an arcade original, you're building that in mind of like, okay, this is going to be working on every platform, and so you're that's how you build the game with that in mind. If you've built the game for the iPhone, they're not all going to work on the Apple TV or the Mac. Like, it's just not going to the experience. This isn't going to be good enough in some instances. I feel. Yeah. Also, I'm I'm checking right now, but um, my guess is that uh, so you can get threes on the Mac. Okay. If you're using an Apple Silicon Mac. Right? Okay. Yep. So, you could argue that the the aha, but it's not on the Mac. It's like, well, it would not surprise me if they're all on the Mac via Apple Silicon. Yeah. But you might have to use that weird, what is it, touch assist thing. You might. But I think that the idea being, you know, the fact that these games have all been on everything previously that that was part of the old system which is now arcade originals um and then the other two which was like the timeless classics and uh there was one other category i don't remember the name of don't i I don't think we can expect the same i'm looking here too and and i think that maybe the this person's point was that that's those categories aren't aren't showing up yet on the mac app store arcade i think it's just a matter for that, I think it's just a matter of time before they update yep. that, because that's the beauty of this going forward with, um, and I'm sure this will be a condition of it, is if it runs on the Mac using uh, using the iOS apps run on Apple Silicon feature, then you, you know that box is checked, mm-hmm. right? You check that box, mm-hmm. because we want these available on the Mac too. And that's right. an easy one, right? Because you don't have to do any extra work really, or probably very much to make it functional i think they will do that apple tv is a it's a great question but and and philosophically i think they would like them on all the platforms but that doesn't necessarily mean that technically it's possible and you know so is this a change in policy i don't know i feel like the originals are all going to probably have to be across the platforms but i don't know for sure now this question from simon this is basically i i like this idea of us uh outside of the draft getting some predictions on record here. Okay. Simon's question is, do you think the iPadOS 14.5 will, will include external monitor support, but it's just not in the betas, like how the trackpad wasn't in the betas of 13.4, the rumored iPad Pro with Thunderbolt could launch alongside it. So this idea of enhanced external display support, right? do we think that it is A, going to be happening with the iPad next iPad Pro and B that it is in iPad OS 14.5. Well, it hasn't been rumored by anyone. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they couldn't do it because it's a software feature. And again, that trackpad thing basically came out of nowhere for it right. being available at the time that it was. You know, it was we thought maybe sometime this year we would do it, but it was like boom, it's available now. Nobody expected that. So I have, uh, there's no way for me to to judge because first off, I want it to happen. Uh, second, there's a precedent last year that they did this. So, but it's also not been rumored or anything. So do I think it's going to happen? 
I would honestly, I I would say it's fifty fifty. So if you want me to flip a coin, I want it to happen. Mm-hmm. I would also, if somebody else was very excited and enthusiastic and saying it's going to happen, I'd be happy to take the alternate, right? Because I think that it is. Uh, I think it's a toss up. I think this is not a part of iPadOS fourteen point five. I right. think this is an iOS fifteen feature. Could be, could be that that's if I was going to put my cards down that's so, where i'm putting them down i think i think the reason that there's room for skepticism is that you and i have spent a long time over the years talking about windowing and and all of that on mm-hmm. ipad os and the cursor you know the little pointer thing is it's so delightful they did such a good job it's so well considered that said it wasn't as huge a leap, especially since they'd already done the the assistive touch version of it. It wasn't that huge a leap from what had come before. It was kind of a progression. And although there's, we do have multitasking, you know, side by side, split view, all of that, and and essentially expose, you know, to to show all the windows. We've got all that stuff. When you start to think about what happens when you plug an iPad into a big monitor Mm -hmm. and how you put those apps on there, and I think, especially when you think, take your favorite app and then run it full screen on a 27-inch monitor, like, oh, no, 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 that's no good. (laughs) That's, that's, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't scale. It's meant to be at most on a, on a large iPad Pro screen right? Which is much smaller. So what do you do? And then it all starts to unravel, right? Because it's then okay, are those windows? Are those windows the size of various iOS device um, uh, screen sizes that you can resize sort of like you do on Apple Silicon, where you can, you can resize certain apps in certain ways? Is that what it looks like? Do you want windows? Do you want something that's sort of like tiling? How does that work? And the reason that I would take an enthusiastic person's yes bet and say no, maybe I'm not 50-50, um, is because it's a big it's a big leap. I feel like there's a revisiting of multitasking on the iPad that's exactly. required that's, for this that's, to work. That's my thinking. I, I think iOS 15 needs to bring about some larger right. scale changes. Could first. they do it in 14.5? I think they could. I think they could even do it part way. And then do more in fifteen, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think you're right. I, I think in the end, you've ta- you've you've convinced me, Mike. If I had to bet money, I would bet on no. I think there's a possibility they'll do it, but if I had to bet money, I would bet on no. And the answer would be, or the reason would be, what I just said, which is, I think it's more complicated than the cursor thing was because it has huge ramifications for how the iPad handles windowing. And maybe that's a full OS version uh, with developer support that is required. And I, and I do think that some rethinking of iPad OS is in the wings. I would like to think that it will be 15, but I don't know. You know, just thinking about things, we were talking about like widgets, you know, widgets on the home screen, that kind of stuff. Um, and also the conversation around multitasking on the iPad has been going on for years. And at a certain point, Apple does address this stuff if people keep talking about it. And as an iPad fan and a longtime iPad OS user, 
I know that there could be a lot of refinements to the way the multitasking system works. So I'm expecting that Apple know that too. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's what I, I expect that it's, it's coming. And I, I don't think they can do true external monitor support until they've also addressed some of the, some of the other parts in um, the way that, that, that windowing stuff works and multitasking works. Right. And a total overhaul in a mid-year OS update seems like it's asking a lot. There's no way that they're adding a brand new multitasking system to iPadOS 4.2.5. There's just no way, in my opinion. Like, two months before WWDC, why would you do that? Like, there would surely be a lot of developer work needed to make sure that everyone's supporting this properly. Like, I can't imagine this being something where it just works because it was the same with the trackpad. The trackpad needed developer work, right? And they released that in March and people did it. They got it working in time. But the idea of requiring all this work in April, May, like, I just don't see why you would do it this way around, especially when the 2020 iPad Pro, the actual iPad Pro, kind of didn't really have anything going for it. Like it had LiDAR. Yeah. Right? Yep. Where the 2020 one iPad Pro will at least have this new screen te- uh, technology, which will make it more desirable to people. And if they put Thunderbolt in it, that will also be a thing that people will enjoy, right? Like there, there are features I think that this hardware will have that the 2020 iPad did not have anything really compelling to it. So I don't, you know, and I think it really helped them to have activity in the product line over the year because they brought in the Magic Trackpad, which is an expensive accessory. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But if I was going to say, i say not 14.5, but I do think it's coming. All right. Yeah, I think if they make iPad Pros that are very capable of driving external displays, I mean, the existing ones are too, right? Like, this is a feature that we all we all looked at this last year or the year before and said well this is obviously coming once they get cursor support in the system you got a pointer you got a keyboard you're there right to drive an external display you're there you just need to figure out how to build that and it you know they could have said well we can't get that part in 14 but we're going to keep working on it and we're going to drop it along with these new pieces of hardware that's the scenario where there's something to release in the next couple of weeks that does it. But yeah, it's such a huge overhaul that it feels like the more likely scenario is that they announce it in June, let developers test their stuff on it, right? To get your iPad out, plug it into a monitor, see how your apps look and go from there. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer in a future episode, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use uh, question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you can get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com. You can sign up and you will get $5 a month, $50 a year, and you will get longer episodes of Upgrade every single week with no ads as well, which is awesome. And thank you so much to everybody who has signed up and supported the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, It's a wonderful club of Upgradians, and we love seeing you in the Discord as well, which is an awesome feature of the membership program. I want to tell you about another show here on Relay FM. It's called Roboism. It's by Alex Cox and Kathy Campbell. This is recently rebooted as well with Kathy joining Alex. So it's a super great time to jump on. They explore how artificial intelligence, machine learning, and digital assistance affect our culture every day. Explore the humanity behind the bots that are quickly becoming part 
of our everyday life at relay.fm slash roboism or search for roboism wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to find Jason online, go to sixcolors.com or theincomparable.com and he is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you to ExpressVPN, Technology Untangled and Fitbod for their support of this episode. But most of all, thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.